This is Fractal Marketing, the podcast for innovative entrepreneurs taking their product to market. Each show, we take an outside look at one company's marketing and discuss the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, over to your host, Jared Doyle. Hi, and welcome to the episode. This week, I'm joined by Andrew Miller, also known as at Andrew Startups. And Andrew, much like me, is a growth marketer, a marketer who helps startups. He's been traveling around the world, helping early stage companies for the last 15 years. So he's driven growth for three multi-million dollar startup exits and spent some time in San Francisco because that's what all great startup people have done. He's written for Inc. Magazine, Startup Grind, and Startup Nation. Andrew, you sound a lot like me, so it's great to have you on the podcast. Welcome. Dude, Gerard, so glad to be here. Thank you. Great. So, Andrew, you've picked the company Numa or Numa that we're going to talk about today. So, for those people playing along at home, that's N-U-M-A.com. And we're going to have a bit of a chat about what we like, what we don't like, what looks good, what doesn't look good, and break it down. But to get started, Andrew, can you give us a bit of background of what Numa is or what Numa does? Yeah. So Numa is a product of a company called Number AI. Number AI is the company. It gets a little confusing, but the bottom line is great technology company of a lot of product dudes that have developed an AI virtual assistant software that will work for small businesses, online businesses, main street, physical businesses that get a lot of phone calls to basically answer the phone, push them to text, respond to questions they have with with automation and basically alleviate the need for a full-time human assistant on the phone. But more than all of that, it drives a considerable amount of new business from the time that you're away or the time that you're too busy to answer the phone. So normally in the current world, you know, we let's say you're a hair salon or you're a restaurant, you're too busy to answer the phone, business loss forever. You know, no one's ever leaving a voicemail in 2020, right? So instead... Yep. This, after a few rings, says, hey, thanks for calling. Press any button and we'll text you. The user goes, oh, shit, okay. So I press a button and it starts texting. You know, you preset the message. It says, hey, it's Andrew from Growth Experts. That's my agency. I use Numa for my website, uh, for my business. And what's, how can I help you? Then they ask one of, you know, 100 questions that I've programmed into the automation. Numa answers it, answers it, helps them schedule a meeting, sends them our services, whatever it might be. And then as soon as it can't 100% definitely answer it, it pushes it to a team member that you've designated and, you know, you can jump in at any time. And so the, the cool thing it does is basically increase businesses, uh, increase business for Main Street businesses through their incoming existing phones. Right. So let's let's start talking about the, the business opportunity here. So I sort of looked at the website, thought, okay, that's kind of cool. But, you know, selling to small businesses is hard, right? I've had a business previously where you try to sell to small businesses. And it's, it is really hard. Even if you have a rational argument, often it's hard to even get speaking to the decision maker. And then I discovered that CallJoy was Google's almost version or competitor of this almost similar solution. And then Google chose to shut that down. So I'm curious, what do you think about that in terms of a signal to the market? Why do you think Google did that? And, and do you think it has an impact on, on Numa, that decision? So I think no, because one, Google is a company that launches and starts hundreds of projects a year and they get shut down, you know, with minimal time. Not really. I mean, they they give them a couple million bucks, run with it. And, you know, they're still a big company. They're not able to operate like a startup. So things that fail in that kind of environment, I don't think necessarily correlate to 
you know, a team that has uh, a lot, a huge track record. This is this founding team. Their last company sold for two hundred twenty million dollars, so they know what the heck they're doing. And it took them fifteen years to get it there, and they didn't they didn't give up. So the missing piece of their puzzle is really marketing and, and user acquisition. And I one hundred percent agree with you. Very difficult. If you heard me. You know, it's hard to sum up the solution in just a sentence. They, some of the staff calls it a virtual assistance tool. I just call it absolute masterful tool for stop losing business from your phones is what I said. You know, that's the tagline in my mind, but we're still working through that because again, it's a product focused team. So they've built an incredible tool and a lot of companies in San Francisco are like this. They're very product focused. They're working on AI, high tech stuff. And then they really leave out the marketing solution till too late until they call one of us, Gerard or me. And then it's a bit of an uphill battle to get all the stakeholders agreed upon things. So, you know, I approach that with data and being data driven and we don't make any gut decisions. You know, your last company doesn't matter. Past performance is not indicative of future performance. And so what we're doing right now is we're launching a bunch of different campaigns with different verbiage, different landing pages, different value props and starting to see and get closer to that apex moment, knowing exactly what who responds what do they respond to and at what price point? And so, you know, th thankfully this company's raised $12 million. So they've got a war chest to be able to get, you know, get that data. And, you know, a lot of companies that are listening don't have that, those resources to be able to get there, but you can do that organically as well. I think, you know, it just takes longer, but so the, the short answer is that yes, it's a difficult space. I launched the Yelp of the Middle East. 10 years ago. And, you know, that was even more offline and going in physically to try and talk to restaurant owners during their busy. I mean, it's a nightmare. But, you know, the end of that answer is COVID has actually helped quite a bit. I think, you know, the just like you mentioned before we started recording, you know, before COVID, we were all like, you know, everything's working. We don't really need to dissect how we're operating. Same goes for a lot of these small businesses. People just walked in and you made money and it was easy. Now they're these business owners are actually a little bit more aggressive and they're looking for affordable tools that are going to help them scale and survive. Numa's, you know, a hundred bucks a month. So it's an incredible way for any business to get a couple more sales a month guaranteed for just a hundred bucks. So it's, it's, it's an easier pitch than you think now. Yeah. I'd like to delve into two parts of what you just said there. One is that you kind of started to turn that phrase, like, you know, the pitch for the business being stop losing customers because of your phone or, or a similar. And that's interesting because, you know, that, that initial messaging, that, that one line that you can throw out there to get someone's attention is obviously super important. Right. And I want to get into how you're testing that. But, you know, it's interesting there you've pitched out it's that loss aversion, which might be stronger than the gain. So it's almost like pitching out that stop losing business because of your phone. That's tapping the psychology of loss aversion. And, exactly. and we all know with loss aversion, we value something we lose more than what we're going to gain. So, you know, we've got a marketing message there. We can go, oh, you can get two new customers a month or you can just not lose two that you already had. Is that, is that the logic you've got there? That is my logic, and that is a bit of an uphill battle with the team, you know, uh, but that is true. As you mentioned, it's psychologically proven that we care more about, you know, what we're losing than what we're going to gain. That's why we're, we, you know, like we care so much about coupons more than just not buying the product and saving their damn money or something, you know, like so. Yeah, so playing into that, the actual stat that we say in this research fact is, you miss 70% of your phone calls as a business, whether you're busy or you're not there or you don't have someone on it or you're out of the office, you're missing 70% of your calls. So with that data, 
knowing that Numa will answer all 70, extra 70% of that. You know, some people are not going to press a button, but a high percentage, considering about in the U.S., 90% of people have mobile phones that are calling in from mobile phone. Not have. Everyone's got one. 90% of the calls are not coming from a landline. So if that 70% you were going to lose out on, that's a pretty strong pool as a business owner, especially if you're like a retail business that's selling, you know, high-end product like a jewelry store. I mean, one of those missed calls could be tens of thousands of dollars. So that is my personal gut shot and the data starting to show that that is also converting people higher. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let's divvy sort of delve into that because it feels like you're going to have solutions that are similar to the way I like to approach it. So you started to articulate there, and if I can jump ahead and guess where we might be going, it's this idea of, well, let's try a couple of different messages. Let's run some Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn groups, whatever it is, and and literally split test these different messages to see what people are responding to. Is that what you're doing? And is that the kind of approach that you take with most of the startups you work with? That is, so depends. A company that has a large war chest, like I mentioned. So there's, you know, you can't, people listening aren't going to be able to see my hands going up and down like this, but in my left hand is the amount of money you have. And in my right hand is the amount of time you have. And if you're, if your money is higher than your time, then you run to paid ads. You can move quickly if you have a big budget like that. And I think every marketer knows how to do that. And you're not really a unique and talented marketer if you can't, if you just, if you, if that's all you know how to do. But if you work with companies that have plenty of time, and not a lot of budget, and you're still able to hack growth out of that, that's when you're a, like a talented marketer and a real growth hacker. And I'm more passionate about that. And Numa is doing a lot of, I mean, super aggressive growth hacking related stuff. You know, we're getting the team on podcasts. We're doing um, at automated lead gen and partnership outreach, influencer marketing, a bunch of other stuff. But yes, we are running at scale paid ads that is getting a lot of um, data in quickly for us and helping us figure out what was, what is working, what are people responding to, and you know even what channels. And beyond all of that, for a product that can work for any business that uh, uh, can get phone calls, trying to figure out exactly what vertical to focus on. And, and that's really been restaurants, salons, spas, gyms, retail businesses have been the real sweet spot. Yeah, makes sense. I'd love to to pivot a bit and talk about the sort of the on-site technical stuff. So, you know, standard practice for me, I look at built with and see what's on the site. And, and I love this site because it's almost like a marketing tech stack of like who's who out there. So when I look at that, I'm sort of seeing, I'm seeing Hotjar, I'm seeing HubSpot, First Promoter, Google Optimize 360, Segment, LinkedIn Insights, Google Site Tags, Fastly, Facebook Pixels. What else have we got on there? Everything. We've also got yeah, I was like, oh, it's got all cloud stuff. We've also got Wistia. I mean, it, keep, it keeps on going, right? So Wistia is the that, video, demo video, yeah. Yeah. On that sort of, because it's like, it's a classic stack. And some of that stuff's expensive. Like, Segment's expensive, right? So for a lot of startups, it's like, you know, like you said, if you haven't got 12 million, you probably can't do Segment. <laughs> but the one of those I would love to dig into is Wistia. So I, I love the idea of Wistia because it's it's found a niche outside of YouTube, any of those other video casting, because it's, 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 it's video hosting for marketing. How, how are you imagining you're going to, or how are you using Wistia at the moment? And how important do you think it is for sort of setups to use something like Wistia as opposed to a YouTube embed? I think you, there's no difference from Vimeo personally on the user experience. It looks the same. The URL is a little bit different. Uh, Wistia might be free. And, you know, this team is, you know, you mentioned the whole stack. I think the best 
people you can work with as a marketer are people that are going to back you and trust you and be willing to do all your crazy tests. So Numa is one of those companies. We're doing a lot of stuff across the board. Um, they're working with other agencies as well. So they're just a really well-funded but very scrappy team, and they're not making, you know, they're they're more seasoned group as well. Like I mentioned, they were at their last company for 15 years. So these are not like 23-year-old kids that are have no experience. They're they're not tight, but they're very smart and wise with their spend, even though they do have a big budget. So having said that, you know, they're still, you know, using tools that are, you know, cheaper and we're testing things before we're just throwing huge budgets at it. And that's really the people I love to work with. So I think the Wistia thing was just, it's a free thing to sign up for. I'm not sure if they have a freemium model or what, but that was just a demo video that we, we got made. I mean, even before I was there. So it's not like a large scale partnership that we have or anything like the Numa is now making um, animated videos and they'll, they'll probably also be hosted by Wistia on the site. But yeah, so I don't have a ton of information about Wistia, but if you're listening to this, if you know, the bottom line is if you're a bootstrap company, use every single opportunity to not pay for something, you know, so like yeah. you can be run dry. I have an early stage startup of my own on the side right now. We're pre-revenue and my own bank account is going out just a thousand dollars a month just from tools. You know, and that's including hosting and all the stuff like it adds up. So and, and I'm really good at finding free tools. So that's a thousand even knowing that I'm getting most of them for free. So it uh, it adds up. Yeah, I you know, one of the other tools I do whenever I look at a business, I look at Ahrefs and the SEO because that was my first love from like the 90s. <laughs> and I noticed that, um, you know, there was a read, you know, they've redirected, they've rebranded. So they've gone from numberai.com or whatever the particular domain and they've redirected. When did that happen? And, and was that something that was that part of the funding, I guess, to get a good dot com and, and rebrand the whole business? <laughs> I think, uh, well, I wish Tasso, the CEO, was on this call. I hate to speak for him on this, but it was before I was there. I think like what happened was they knew that they wanted to perfect this broken environment of, you know, making tools for phones to work better. You know, not a lot of companies focusing on it. And Numa is the first of those products. So going out to businesses and helping to solve this massive gap that they're missing 70% of their, their phone calls and their business that is being lost. And, and so Numa is one of the products from Number AI. So I think they, they raised money as Number AI, and then they, they went to market with their first product, which is Numa. But the company and the team is a Number AI team. Numa is just the project that I'm working with for them. The first product. Yeah. But I agree. Like, dude, my first week I was like, no, this is this is too fragmented and too hard. For, but number AI is not customer facing in any way. So the user never knows about number AI. They don't ever get an email from number AI. Number AI is just our business emails. And so it's just Numa is the, the product facing the consumer. Makes sense. So jumping into that branding and, and getting traction. One thing that I see across the website, across the Facebook ads, everything out is the, um, the chap with the, the goatee and the Ralph Lauren blue shirt on in assuming he's a legitimate customer and, he, and do the, in doing the video. Can you talk a little bit about the use of actual small business owners in videos and that content? Because look, the content's obviously been recorded well, but What's the, the logic behind that? I'm assuming there's like an element of trust there and kind of um, you know, building up that authority, but using real business people behind that. And it looks like it's been a significant investment. In other words, it's not just like a, a three-line three trust yeah. pilot review. This is, you know, you've got the dude in here and you've, you've interviewed him with lights and cameras and the whole bit. Can you talk a little bit about the use of real customers in those ads? 
Absolutely. Yeah. So not just for NUMA, across the board, if you're an early stage startup and you're listening to this and you haven't thought about putting your actual customers into your social media, anybody that emails you that they love the product or something, you need to follow up with them with free swag, with an opportunity to be highlighted in your social media and an opportunity, if they create valuable content, to even be in ads that's going to help promote their business. And that's what happened here. You know, I'm not 100% sure on the relationship, but I think it, basically it was a it was an early power user that, that, you know, kept reaching out to the team, even when they didn't have a marketing pr- person in place. And they're like, hey, do you want to, like, say this on camera? You know, like, and you, so if you have that opportunity, nothing is going to be more valuable than an authentic person with a real business name that's clickable on the website that they can go through and they put their brand behind. And, you know, those early users are your brand advocates. Even before that gets referrals get incentivized, they're out there telling people because your tool literally can save their business. And Numa has done that for we have dozens of case studies so far of businesses that were about like literally tanking these Numa and because of that slight lift in growth, they've been able to be sustained. So I think this was one of those scenarios. Like we saved the guy's business for a freaking hundred dollars a month. So he was super excited to go and record some video content. And then, you know, the benefit to him is that he's included in our ads, you know, like we're spending money and promoting that video. So lean on your early customers for feedback, qualitative and quantitative feedback, lean on your early customers for user generated content and promote them as much as possible because social proof, I mean, I can't get it. I can't say it enough. Social proof is the reason why influencer marketing exists and sometimes beats paid advertising. We are social creatures and even if it's fake, we believe it and we believe it more than if we just saw the company talking about it on their own. Yeah. I mean, when I look at the homepage of the site, you know, you sort of see him and it just, it's such a prominent position. And then I compare it to the pictures that are underneath that and they're obviously more stock, you know, the people are posed, yeah. they've got the beautiful, not that he's not a good looking guy, but you know, you, you can tell the difference, right? It's almost like, I mean, as marketers, we can sort of spot stock photography and you kind of see stuff and you go, okay, I know what that is. But but I think consumers do as well now. I think they've got to the stage where they can kind of spot what's stock photography and what's not. And, and you know, the fact that Numa, like I'm seeing him on the homepage, but I'm also seeing him across the Facebook. It's like, not that he's the face of, but yeah, it just builds that level of trust. And then well, I guess what I really like about it is the company's taking the time to actually then make it look good, you know? So it's got different backgrounds. They've got him, you know, it's it's been done professionally. And I think what I like about it is it's it's stepping that line between, you know, you can overinvest and look like you've got too much money, but at the same time, you can make videos look bad. And, and I think Numa's done a great job here of producing what's a real authentic video with a real person, but they've not done it cheaply. So the actual camera work and the video editing is 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 on point. So, you know, for me and some of the startups I work with, if you can get to that stage, and I just I t- I totally agree with what you were saying, you just, you're in such a stronger position if you can get real customers because people go, well, if it worked for him, it'll probably work for me. You know, this isn't staged. It's not actors. You know, it's, I don't know what we call them, but yeah, social proof. That's, it's just so important. I think it's one thing that Numa does really well on their site and their socials. And they're only scratching the tip of the iceberg. I mean, they have incredible case studies. Uh, an early stage customer was a restaurant in uh, Portland that made 145000 extra dollars in month one using Numa, you know, versus not just not being there when you're, when you're not there. They have retail businesses that have, you know, scaled faster in the past six months than the 10 years before. The case studies are insane. So they're not even fully, you know, they almost could you have a full-time person just reaching out to create content with customers that it's really helped and that would really help in 
maybe I'll take that from out of this and, and go forwards with that. But, but yeah, I mean, if you're listening to this and you're not leaning on your current customers for more than just like, Hey, let us know if there's a problem then you're missing a huge marketing opportunity that you're those early brand advocates, you know, go into your analytics, see who's signing into your site or your tour tool the most reach out to them and offer them value in the sense of, Hey, we want to interview you on our podcast. You're a power user. We would love to introduce you to our CEO. Who's got some questions, you know, power users would love that. We're going to send you free swag. We're going to put you in our ads. So bunch, a lot of more potential there. And if you're not doing it, I think it's a big foundational marketing mistake. Absolutely. So looping back to what we mentioned right at the start, which was my fear around smoking, speaking to and trying to attract the attention of small business owners. I mean, if there's a group of people out there that are peppered, like there's certain demographics, right? So if you just got married or you were engaged or you just had a baby or you're moving house, these, you know, these are the moments where everyone's like, everyone's after you because you're moving house. But small business owners are just hit up all the time with, you know, startups trying to pitch new ideas and and even with my own startup, I, I did the, you know, the hard hustle. I walked around the streets trying to sell and get people to try. And it was hard. Like it was really like the, the default position is no. What kind of tactics are you hoping to bring or have you tested to kind of get through that door to get that conversation? Because it's hard to find these people and it's hard to get them engaged. So that first attention, you know, if you think about sort of marketing and that first thing you want to do is to get someone's attention, what are the channels and tactics that you're thinking of for Numa to get out and get the attention of these small business retail owners? Yeah. So, you know, unfortunately paid stuff is really converting the most still. And, and that is the main lever for growth for the business. I mean, that's normal for the scale that they want, but we've also had a lot of success with PR and getting the found the CEO on podcasts. And I think any long form content, you know, where it's not, uh, it's inbound rather than outbound, you know, like they, it, on their own prerogative, they're reading about Numa and they're seeing the case studies. That's really what is most successful when done at scale because they have you know let's say they read a 10 minute article about all the major successes that this company's brought to small businesses around the united states and canada then they're going to be converted by the time they click the, the url at the bottom of the article or something right as opposed to that time when you did that cold walk-in um, in queensland or when i did cold walk-ins for the yelp of the middle east that we launched and it's you know rush hour at a restaurant and they're like get the heck out of here and slam the door in your face so I think there's a big thing with um, Seth Godin, you know, talking about permission marketing. There's mm -hmm. enough value in this message where we've had success avoiding permission marketing. For instance, you know, with the affiliate campaigns and influencer stuff that I'm leading the charge on, you know, we have an affiliate program, we have a referral program. I'm just cold messaging at scale using some automation, hundreds and hundreds of potential partners like website builders, scheduling tools that we could partner with to increase the value that we can offer people, but also for user acquisition partnerships. So a scheduling tool in Australia that has 5,000 businesses in the US, which we'll name nameless for right now because we haven't partnered yet. We want to partner to get access to their customers in the US. So. I'm spamming the CEO and literally LinkedIn cold outreach messaging them, but I always focus on the value in my message. And so I coined this term, there's no such thing as targeted spam, because if you hit the right target with the right message, it doesn't matter whether they wanted it or not. If you So if you're listening to this and you disagree, imagine your favorite store sends you a message against your will for with a $100 coupon. 
you're going to be like, screw these guys. And then you're going to put that coupon in your back pocket and you're going to go spend it later. You know what I mean? So that's kind of what I imagine when I'm doing outreach for these businesses is I'm always, I'm not focused on how I'm reaching out, where I'm reaching out, although I am because I'm running a bunch of tests. I'm focused on what am I saying? How am I saying it? And is there a lot of value in my message? And if there is, I know it's going to be received well enough. And, you know, the same has been true with hundreds of companies I've run automated outreach campaigns for. I don't get spam sent to spam that much, you know, and, you know, it's it's about not sending a huge message that just glares, that glazes their eyes over and really just focusing on that value. And then once you get them to respond, for instance, like, hey, are you a business owner that it gets phone calls? That could be like the first message that we sent. It's something super short like that. As opposed to, hey, I've got this product that's going to change your life. It's blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? They're going to not look at it. 70% of people check email the first time on their phone now. It's probably up since the last time that's that. And, you know, when you get an email, Gerard, that is your entire phone screen, you just go, fuck it. I'm not going to look at it. And so you, you don't even bother reading it. But if it was that one line and you go, yeah, I do get a lot of phone calls. How, why? And then, you know, maybe they, they, they don't even respond. They go and click the... URL and your signature instead, and then they go through the website and they convert. So I think it's all about how you message and, and optimizing, making sure that you have a lot of value in your message. And that's the secret to outreach. Yeah. I love the advice. Honestly, Andrew, like I think you said about 10 things there that I was like, <laughs> each one, I was like, I want to dig into that. Like, there was, that was that was like a golden two minutes of stuff. And I'm like, <laughs> all of that. So, you know, hit, hit a rewind on your podcast app for like three minutes and listen to it again, because there were some nuggets in there. So I'm going to try to paraphrase some of those, you know, so the data research, so building the, the right targets, super important. If you're reaching the right people with the right message, it's going to work. So it's not about bulk. It's about getting the right people think that's super good i love the idea of short concise messages for your outreach i know even on linkedin you know when you get that you accept a connection and then you get like 400 words and like there's no way you instantly reply with 400 words of prefabricated like keep it short keep it sweet i loved at the start you were talking there about two types of outreach you were doing one being partnerships super critical although you know often for a lot of startups they need to get their business right before they get into that but i love the idea of the the real growth hackery part which is the long form content finding people who've got audiences and infiltrating those people and sort of saying so rather than going out one to one and trying to like hand to hand combat sales going out and saying who already has my audience who already has their attention and work out how to infiltrate those people because if you you know i mean you mentioned seth godin i mean like you're not going to, but if you could get him, you know, with his audience, you just go, he'll turn your business around overnight. Like he's got so many small business owners, you know, he can, he can make that move. But anyone like that, with that kind of influence, with that kind of reach, even small, like you said, 5,000 businesses, it's small, but it's not when you think about it in terms of what that could do for your business. And I love that approach of like long form content, give value first, reach out to the right partners. And then, you know, you're going to get those, those trust signals through. It seems like a much more doable and stomachable approach than kind of going out there and going, right, let's go hairdressers in Boston today. And it's like hairdresser A1, let's go. Outreach. Totally. That's going to kill anybody, I think. No, and the paid ad, you know, it's all about being multi-channel. And again, it comes down to the resources you have. You know, if you're listening to this and you don't have any money, you don't skip focusing on the individual user acquisition to go to the, straight to the referral campaigns and uh, affiliate marketing. You know, it's a, all part of a robust 
comprehensive marketing plan. But w- with Numa, it's a super aggressive team that's that's happy and um, you know open to launching and testing a lot of new stuff. And I think that's really important. Uh, if you're a marketer and you're a consultant and you're working with a founding team that's holding your hands behind your back. You know, it's not worth the money. You should fire them as a client because, you know, you need wins. You want to win. We're doing this because we like to win. And you need an aggressive team that's building stuff quickly for you, that's supporting you with engineering resources that and budgets and lets you, you know, take some wild left field tests and stuff. But, but you're right. In the back of your mind, everything you do is all about how can we create value for the most people at the, at the fastest time. It's not... You know, and, and uh, that's another um, amazing thing I learned so living in San Francisco and working there as opposed to I've worked with startups all over, but a majority of my early career was in Dubai. And I've worked with startups in Australia, freaking Morocco, all, uh, Norway, uh, India, all over the world. And in San Francisco, different than anywhere else, and Numa's from San Francisco, Oakland Bay Area, you're creating solutions to problems. You're not just trying to make money. And that is the biggest difference. When you really feel like you're spending this time and this effort and your your life trying to solve this problem, then you're you can be aggressive in the marketing. You can you know you're always focused on helping this segment. And I think the founding team, as well as myself, we all have family business in our background or and, and a small business in our background. And so like you're driven by passion to help these businesses and you know give them tools that are affordable that are going to help and that's what really enables us to move really quick and and be aggressive and try you know sliding in their dms and growth hacking ways to get a get a, we're trying to help you we're just trying to help you you know so if you're listening to this and you've got a business that's just trying to extract value from people you're going to have a much harder uphill battle trying to win as a business when you're, you know, you're, you can only fool people for so long. You've got to give, 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 give got value. Yeah. I'm kind of thinking, I saw something today from Gary V who's I'm not the biggest fan of, but damn, he's good at his socials. And he just got that one quote, which was like, entrepreneurs don't do it for the money. They do it for the problem, you know, or something to that effect. And, and I've misquoted him, but you know, it's like, yeah, I think money's a, a measure of success. Like it's, it's kind of the reward for doing it, but it's that drive to solve a problem is that right. if that's what you're focused on, it's going to make all the difference in the way you conduct your marketing, your business, your product and everything. Totally. I mean, these guys sold their last company for $220 million. I think if they only cared about money, they'd have been job done at that point. You know, they care <laughs> yeah. about working and building and solving problems and helping people. And that's really the biggest difference from San Francisco and the Bay Area to anywhere else. And like when people say, oh, all the money is there because that's where all the VCs live. That's where all the VCs live because that's where people want to solve problems. And it's unbelievable how much harder you can work and you know lose track of time and your time investment and work on something for 10 years 15 years when you're passionate about it it hits somewhere else in your heart that money doesn't you know like i i I retired at an early age as far as chasing money you know i'm a digital nomad i live out of a bag of clothes in an airbnb i've had my bills covered for 10 plus years and i'm still doing the same thing and i think like that's the key to happiness is finding something you would do if you weren't getting paid for it and then do that all the time and uh, I think entrepreneurs mm, depends, you know, like the small business entrepreneur is definitely trying to make money, but startup founders, especially seasoned serial entrepreneurs that have already sold businesses, they're not driven by money anymore. And if you are, you'd be doing something else. I always uh, joke to people who are um, telling me about how much money they're going to make in their startup. I'm like, assassins make money, prostitutes make money. 
You know what I mean? If that's all you care about, do something else. You know what I mean? There's plenty of ways to make money that are easier than what you're talking about building. If you only care about money, you're going to, you're probably going to fail, you know? Yep. Super, super good advice. Really good. <laughs> Actually, um, we might leave that as the, uh, the woke bit of advice at the end of the chat. <laughs> Don't become a prostitute. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> that's the big takeaway. That's the headline. I'll, we'll run Just that become as a the, prostitute uh, if you need show. money. Yeah. That's not what I meant. <laughs> If people want to uh, follow your thoughts, connect with you, find you online, what are the best channels and places to find you? Yeah, so it's andrewstartups.com. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter at andrewstartups, or you can just email me, cold email me with a lot of value at me at andrewstartups.com. M-E, yes, I know, egotistical, at andrewstartups.com. And um, yeah, if you're an early stage startup, I've got a growth hacking course. I've got a coaching program. I sell cheap, affordable one hour consultations. I really love helping very early stage companies, even though, you know, we were talking so much about a, a funded startup that has the, you know, the, the funding and the resources to really scale. My personal passion, as I know with Gerard as well, it's, you know, we love getting in the trenches with companies that are at the early stage. And it's been a passion project for me for the past 10 years. It doesn't really pay the bills as well, you know, as they don't have the, the funding. But it is exciting to see companies go from idea stage to that big stage and, and you be a part of that. So that's really what I love to do the most is help the companies that aren't at Numa's level yet. But um, it's also exciting to work with proven founders that have that funding and be able to uh, flex those muscles as well. Love it, love it. You're um, you're speaking my language. I, I just, I'm still sitting here going, yes, yes. What you just said, totally agree. <laughs> Andrew, it's been awesome. um, absolutely fantastic speaking with you. We'll have to book you in again, pick a different brand, and we'll, we'll really go to town on someone <laughs> that we don't know, and we'll have a great time. Yes, absolutely. I would love that, Gerard. Thank you so much for having me. Take care. Cheers. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. I hope we were able to provide you with some great marketing ideas that will really help your business. As always, if you'd like to support me and the show, just jump onto iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast and rate and review. Those reviews really make a difference and help me reach a broader audience. If you'd like to connect, the best way to find me, of course, is on LinkedIn, following me on social media, or just connecting. And if you've got ideas for future episodes or you're a marketer and you would like to appear in a future episode, just hit me up on LinkedIn as well. I'd be happy to have a chat. Thanks a lot. And I look forward to speaking with you next week.